Hello, sir. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. I was remarking that I don't think I've ever seen you without your glasses before. Yeah, it's a new me. So last week I got a procedure similar to LASIK. So um, I've been in glasses since I was in fourth grade. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. How was this? How did it go? It went really well. Like for a few years, I was nervous. I was thinking about doing it, but I was kind of nervous. Like what happens if I look away in the middle of the procedure? Like, are they going to slice my eye open with a laser? But turns out it's a, a very routine procedure at this point. They've done millions of them worldwide. Um, and so literally I went in for a consult and they did like probably 12 different tests on my eyes, checking like the thickness of the cornea and your, they check your prescription three different ways and the like shape of your eye and the overall health of your eye and stuff like that. I was a good candidate on all fronts and I was like, great, how soon can I get in? And they were like, um, probably like next week sometime. And then I just like scheduled it and yeah, it was, it all came together really fast. And the procedure itself was, was very fast. Like, so you basically show up and you know, they run through some like pre-op paperwork with you and disclaimers and stuff like that. And then you go in and it's like, it's like 30 seconds per eye, very little discomfort. No, like I did, they didn't put me out or anything. They just kind of like numb your eyeball. So it kind of just stays in place. And, uh, yeah, it was, um, wow. what's this procedure called? So this one's called smile. And like, if you're familiar with LASIK, they traditional LASIK, they like cut basically a flap on your cornea, the very surface of your eye. And they like fold the flap back and Good then they do, do some stuff and then they put the flap back over and your eye is actually a very fast healing or, organ. So like it, it kind of reattaches itself at the border pretty, pretty fast, but you're still kind of weak there for definitely for months. And then even for like a couple of years, like technically if you rub your eye hard enough, like you might dislodge Lord, the flap. Stop. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Eyeball flaps. Not yeah. cool. But so with this, this procedure, it's like, I think they've been doing it for like 12 years in other countries and it's like three years in the U S because FDA approval is probably, you know, more rigorous than, than a lot of other countries. And they basically do a, a very small incision instead of the flap. So there's, there's no risk of like that thing, you know, coming undone or whatever. And then they have a secondary laser and they kind of do like, they create like a contact lens shaped piece of, of tissue one layer beneath on your cornea and then they like pull it out from the little incision so they so the the second laser kind of goes through creates a bunch of little bubbles and then they just like kind of massage the tissue out and and pull it out of your hmm. eye so wow yeah it's just amazing like like science like people are figuring this stuff out and i'm always just surprised by anytime i encounter stuff like this are they sorry are you expected to get to like 2020 vision yeah, pretty or at least pretty close. Like they don't guarantee that it will be perfect, but yeah, it's supposed to be definitely to the point where I shouldn't need glasses again for a while, decades probably. Yeah, like eyes naturally change and you know, as you get older, you may need reading glasses and stuff like that. But it's funny when I was talk consulting with a doctor, he was like, "Yeah, just, you know, FYI, this doesn't impact like the natural process of of needing reading glasses cuz that's a different lens or whatever." But he's like, how, how old are you? He's like, okay, by the time you get there, we'll have that figured out too. We'll be able to fix that. Huh. So nice. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Well, that's, that's fascinating. I've, I've been thinking about it. I'm a, I think Joel did, Joel did this recently and took good results. So I don't know. Maybe I should check it out. Do you, are you a contact swearer? Yeah. Yeah. Every okay. day. Yeah. I got a really strong prescription. There is like a kind of an upper limit, I think, but I think they can even do it 
not, I don't know if people do this, but like they can at least like get you closer or something. And then you would have like a much lower power subscription prescription or something like that. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. I figured this was a good time to do it because the stories I've heard from LASIK, like people a lot of times have like a lot of discomfort for a few weeks. And so like looking at screens is hard. Um, mm-hmm. And actually it's been, it's been better than I expected. I think this procedure is just less kind of your eyes don't get as dry and it's just less uh, invasive. So it hasn't been super bad, but I definitely can notice like after a few hours in front of a screen, my eyes are kind of burning and ready to be done. So since I'm in this in between time, it's a good time to, you know, hobble my ability to stare at a screen, I guess. Sure. Totally. Cool. So maybe I should uh, start then. Yeah. Go for it. See what we've been, we've been doing. Well, we had just like actually a fun day yesterday. Uh, We went and saw like a Red Sox day game. Nice. A little outing. Yeah. A little outing, which is great because they're cheaper. Uh, and less crowded because most people can't go to a thing on a Wednesday at one, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but we could, and we actually ended up talking about work quite a bit. And so it was like simultaneously like fun and productive. Yeah. That's cool. Which is, it's really nice to be able to mix that in like a flexible way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like that a lot. It's like we're taking advantage of our flexibility in like doing a fun thing, but also in our ability to fit work in where we want it, even if it's sort of atypical. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that might spur on some, just being in a fresh location spur on some different types of conversations and ideas and stuff. Yes. Yeah, I think so. And you're kind of all like looking out at a thing and the thing is kind of like semi-distracting. So you're kind of like all, I don't know, thinking and not staring at each other. And it's, I don't know, I, I liked it. I was into it. So I took some notes on stuff we talked about to, to come back on. It felt like a very uh, own your own business. You start up kind of moment where it's like, yeah, we can do this now. This is awesome. Yeah. I remember back in Fresno, we did the drip, the very young early drip team did like this outing to the local AAA team, Fresno Grizzlies. And it's like, yeah, no one was there in the middle of the afternoon, but it was like, yeah, get a hot dog and sit in this like nice little skybox thing and uh, enjoy some nice weather. It was fun. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. So that was good. Bigger project wise, the new version of our marketing site is getting closer to, to ready to launch working with the fabled steve on that one it's cool seeing it come together it's nice having like a product to talk about and specific things to talk about and we're trying to work on some inner like showing some interface elements to it and but it's it's nice to go from kind of like manifesto to hey this thing is real we have customers they're using it they like it um it's viable soonish <laughs> that feels good we actually had someone at a larger organization be like just so you know like the the website as it is is kind of like hampering it makes it harder for us to adopt it because I send it to people and they're like, it doesn't look like it's a thing. It looks like you're like going to start working on a thing, which is fair because we put it up, I mean, like last February or something. Yeah. Yeah. Or no. Anyway, about a year ago. Uh, so that'll, that'll be nice to have out there. Yeah. I think that's like a good thing to not like worry about updating that too early in the process. And it sounds like you like it's natural. It's the natural point where like it's time for your website to grow up too. And um, yeah yeah so, good. i agree um uh, I, I mean like it, i think it hurt us a little bit like this person said for for some people but for the most part i think it served us pretty well and, and we were fine despite it you know looking in progress i would say i think it attracted the people that were okay with that and it was harder for larger organizations to adopt it but like that's okay we've we've slowly been, been winning some of those here and there so um, i actually just got confirmation today that our biggest single invoice ever just got like sent to payment it's like the bank is just like like it's it went through accounts payable like they said yes accounts payable has 
done with it. The bank is like working on it. So it's like we should have like a nice like deposit hit soonish, which would be pretty cool. Nice. What's the what's the method for this? Is like a wire transfer or something or what's how are they paying you? Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, it sounds like if their bank is involved, it's going to be like an ACH thing. Okay. Um, Stripe okay. actually has this built in, which is kind of amazing to me. It's like you would send someone an invoice and they can pay it with a credit card or it has ACH numbers right on it. They're like spun up individually per invoice. So it's like it automatically knows what invoice they're paying, uh, which I, I think is the option they have chosen. Yeah, that's really that's so cool. I love that Stripe keeps just like adding this stuff. It's like it feels just natural. And I just kind of assume like, oh, I bet they can do that. And sure enough, like I checked the other day. Um, I was just curious because I was billing someone for something small that I did. And like, sure enough, I could just toggle on a thing to enable ACH option. I'm like, damn, this is good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was really struck. I think I commented about this last time. Uh, but when I was at MicroConf, there was Stripe sent some people there to hang out at the conference. And they were engineers, which I thought was interesting. It wasn't like product management people. And they took notes. I was like, oh, I'm a Stripe customer. Like, oh, like, what do you think of it? Do you use this? Have you tried this? Like, tell me about this. And like, every time I mentioned something, this person wrote it down. Patrick, I think, spoke uh, one of the years I was at MicroConf. And on stage, he's like, by the way, my email is Patrick at Stripe. Like, if you have any feedback about how we can do better, or if you see me at lunch or whatever, like, I'm, I'm here to, to hear from you what we can, how we can improve. Yeah. And That's I, so I don't, cool. I don't I'm, think those things are unrelated, the fact that right. it's so good and that they do that so religiously. I wonder how they scale that because it's like counterintuitive. It seems like they're doing things that don't scale at a very massive scale. And I just wonder <laughs> what that actually looks like. Like, what does Patrick's e email inbox look like? Um, but I guess probably only a small slice of people actually take him up on that, you know? <laughs> probably. Yeah. yeah. And he's probably not writing like long, thoughtful responses to all of those things. But I think even just having that stream kind of come in where you're like, you're getting the set like you have sort of a gist like you're like okay i get the sense of the, of what people are saying you start to notice if something happens comes up a lot that kind of thing i've actually been thinking of kind of an interesting like meta thought uh, this isn't fully formed yet but it's just a thing that's been bouncing around my head which is i wonder if there are times where your customers are asking you for a thing a lot and there's a somewhat consistent chorus of people asking for this but it's also a thing you shouldn't do it doesn't seem like it, it should be automatically correct to build a thing just because people are asking you for a thing. Like for instance, if you're intentionally building a very small product or a very focused, tailored product, there's probably some obvious things that are missing that people will ask you for again and again. And if you just follow this, like, well, like talk to your customers all the time and like try to make them happy and give them what they want, it's possible to take that, that feedback and build a thing that you didn't, doesn't match your vision or, or whatnot. But maybe your vision is like, quote unquote, like wrong or something. Like, I, I don't know, like how much wisdom is there in the crowd exactly? Like how, to what level can you trust it? Yeah, that was something that I wanted to, um, I hope to get more clarity on talking to Rahul from Superhuman because to me, that's like, there's there's kind of two one of two paths you can go there. You can either go the route of like, we're going to start with a kernel of something let people in the door and then from then on out people will kind of guide the direction and we'll we'll start to like fit the problem we're solving to what those people want and then more of those people will come through the door and it kind of veers in that direction or are you saying like these are the things that you know we care about low latency and this and this and like these are the types of customers that we want to attract and what happens when you attract a bunch of people who maybe don't care as much about your core things and care more about other things like do you you know, do you keep iterating the direction of the masses or do you stick to your core? And I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, yeah. It, it's like there's this phrase like the wrong people are using our product. What do we do? Right. <laughs> it's like, well, if they're paying you money. <laughs> yeah, they like it for the wrong reasons. Uh, damn them. Yeah. <laughs> they need to like it for the reasons that we wanted them to like it and the stuff that we built. 
the positioning thing is, or like sort of just deciding that actually, I think it's healthy to change this over time and, and pay attention to it. But it's interesting how um, it's kind of, I, I'm kind of getting moved around on this and, and I feel a little bit unsure about it. Like a, for example, a bunch of people don't really use much of the remote control features in Tuple. Like there's just some people that just don't, they don't pair that way. They do um, sort of driver navigator pairing where it's like one person drives the whole time and you don't type on their machine. You're just there as the sort of higher level guide. And that is a totally legitimate and good form of pairing. And so all of the latency stuff basically does not help these people. And they want like the drawing on the screen stuff better. They want more flexibility around how to like structure the call. Like maybe don't share the screen all the time or maybe share two screens in two directions. Or And so you could say like, oh, no, no, we're not for those kind of people, but maybe we are. And like, it's so it's like, even within this niche, I thought we were like niched down where it's like, okay, pair pro- remote pair programming app. It's like, okay, this, this is such a tiny little corner of the world. Like surely we'll have like consensus, but it's actually like there's even further sub niches within there. And we could just decide like, oh, we, we do support these people. We don't support these people. We do care about this thing. And it's and I feel like that positioning is so important. It, like, it permeates and affects so many of your decisions that it's like the fact that I'm I'm less sure about that right now, it like feels kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, I guess it's like ways to explore that could be like once you have enough sample size, figuring out how, you know, what's like that product market fit score for those two different cohorts, like the people who who do more of the handoff versus the people who don't and I guess eventually, what does their churn look like? How long do they stick around? Do they really fall in love with the product? And then, I don't know. And and also looking at, I mean, another factor would be like how big are the markets? Like if it's if there's way more people who never hand off control and only a small subset actually do that, then that's something to you know take into consideration too. I guess. But yeah, I, I like that. I like thinking about like who are the happiest, best customers, mm-hmm. and and what are they doing, and, mm-hmm. and maybe focus on them. Mm-hmm. That makes that makes sense to me. Yeah. There's this interesting push-pull in my head. So like another thing that I've been working on is um, actually that I shipped is like a self-serve sign-up. So like there's there's now like a URL that you can go hit and like sign up for the app and pay and get it and onboard your team and, and, and never have to talk to anyone. And I'm like, this is so cool. We have this thing. And like I get emails of people signing up for the product. and like, oh my God, it's amazing. Uh, and also it's like, yes, but like we still need to make sure the like the pipeline of customer feedback is happening really regularly. Uh, and so it's like this kind of automation versus learning dichotomy that I feel like is important to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Because you've had it, you've had a the luxury of being the gatekeeper up until this point, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and and because of that, like people just people had my email, for example, or my like Twitter DM, and and like they would ping me when they were unhappy or happy. Uh, and just like give me feedback basically. Oh, I loved the install script or I lo- uh, this was cool or uh, we're having a lot of problems with this because we already had a bit of a, a little bit of a contact established. Not much oftentimes. It would just be a couple of emails back and forth. But they were like, they had a, a, a channel they felt comfortable reaching out on. Whereas maybe they would say, eh, I'm not going to email like support at who is that? Or I'm not going to like use the in-app feedback box or whatnot. I think if we're just like, if we just are smart about it and pay attention, it, we'll be all right. But it's just it's just something I'm keeping an eye on because like it makes me feel a little uncomfortable actually. Yeah. yeah. Suddenly you're suddenly there's a bunch of people using your product and you don't know how they're feeling about it at any right. given moment. Yeah. Yeah. And we ask people, we send that product, we, we send that survey, we send the product market fit survey. I read all those answers and respond to most of them. And um, so that we do have like some tripwires. Uh, and people aren't actually not that shy about reaching out to support, honestly. I feel like it's like a bit of a scary point. I think it would be easy to get to focus on like, okay, now let's draw the funnel and let's figure out how do we get like this part of the funnel up 3% from where it is or something and not think, not like keep talking to people and, and keeping my ear to the ground and paying attention. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I think you're thinking about it the right way, which is good. Because uh, I think a lot of people can tend to like just kind of ignore that actual concrete conversation side and just analyze the inbound or just go off of numbers. And I think if you stray away fully away from that kind of qualitative feedback loop, then you might be missing out on stuff. So I think you're just being aware, I think, is you're, you have a leg up. I hope so. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so one other interesting thing that happened is um, I got <laughs> an email from someone uh, in the biz dev uh, department of Slack mm. uh, a couple weeks ago <laughs> being like, hey, can we talk? Um, we're taking out remote control and we want to be able to potentially send people your way as an alternative. And I was like, wow, uh, yeah, we can definitely talk. And so we chatted and <laughs> the, content, the, the call, the gist of the call was kind of like, so like we, we want to send people to you, but like your website is kind of like trashing us <laughs> and we kind of yeah. can't send people to it. So uh, any thoughts on that? And I was like, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're launching a new version of the marketing site anyway. It's less pick a fight and more like, hey, we have a product and it's good. And he was like, okay, but like we're doing this like right now. Is there anything we could do right now? And so I just like, I changed a little bit of the copy on the, the tuple landing page to make it more like it still talks about screen hero and the loss of screen hero and all that but not like boo slack you you stole screen hero uh no more call outs by name so basically what i'm saying is i sold out yeah, <laughs> yeah. i think that was um, the absolute right choice <laughs> yeah tuple is no longer punk you know <laughs> yeah you've gone corporate. yeah I, it, it seemed it, it didn't seem like a hard decision honestly yeah i feel like we got a lot of mileage out of that particular uh, positioning mm-hmm, uh, and mm-hmm. it, it resonated but i think we're i don't know I'm, I'm happy stepping away from that a bit now right and you're kind of no longer competing with slack like it's sort of a a truce a ceasefire at this point anyways so yeah seemingly although like so one thing that strikes me is that if there are a lot of our people that are doing pair programming and they're not doing the remote control bit it seems like slack has abandoned these people but kind of not exactly maybe so I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, yeah there's a, a bit of a ceasefire, I guess I would say is, is a fair thing. And like, we're planning on adding like a slash tuple command as like a Slack integration to spin up a call quickly and things like that. So we don't need to, we don't need to be mean to each other. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's cool. That's, I mean, I, I can't wait to hear what the numbers look like from that cross promotion. Do you know the details at all of what they're going to do? So we are all, there's actually already a link so they have like a support article which is like we're removing remote control from slack calls and they have they list some alternatives to if you were using it for pair programming and so we're on that list now which is very cool i haven't checked the analytics yet uh, i haven't noticed like a huge change in, in like uh subscribers yet um there was talk of an email that was going out i don't know if that email happened or if we made it into it exactly i have to check with my like contact person uh, i haven't seen any huge surges uh but i don't know every little bit helps Right. Yeah. And it could be could be just kind of a nice traffic source, uh, kind of long yeah. term, you know, exactly. Like, g- g- yeah, I mean, actually, I would say mailing list signups are kind of up a fair amount. Now they look at it. Sources I have to go dig into the, the analytics, I guess, if I can figure out if it's actually that. It's like, oh, right, we're kind of like a real company a little bit now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> is what that felt it was like other companies want to talk to us and do company things. And yeah, as if we are a real company ourselves. That's funny. <laughs> do, do they know we're just three people like, right. in, a, <laughs> yeah. in a second bedroom? Because mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, that was kind of fun. That's cool. So uh, what's going on with you? I can talk a little bit about uh, a thing that I'm starting to starting to build a little bit. 
in thinking about ideas and stuff I want to build, like I, I touched on this last time where I kind of mentioned, like I want to build some small, relatively small scoped products and, or maybe just one, but, but potentially multiples and ship them and kind of test the waters, see what the reception is like, and really just work on things that I've identified as tools that, that I would like to exist, that I could use, that I kind of have a hunch that there's a, a need for, but not, not entirely sure until I put it out in the market. And kind of just in general, take the opposite approach to what I did with Level, where I tried, attempted to do a bunch of upfront validation and then spent a year building and then came back around. So <laughs> one of the things I'm, I'm really, I've been interested in this actually for a long time. It's been in my idea notebook for probably like 10 years, a kernel of this same thing. And it's basically tooling around to help facilitate dynamic things on websites that are statically generated. So if you're using something like a Jekyll or something like um, Middleman or Gatsby or Hugo or Next or any of these things, they all take kind of different approaches. But um, there's sort of this trend that has been around for a long time, but is sort of gaining steam in, in like the build your site using a basically a static site generator and compile it down to flat HTML files as much as possible. And you can serve them from a CDN. You don't have security issues with them. I feel like there's there's a lot of momentum from companies like Netlify and companies like Zite that kind of are championing this model of doing websites in a kind of a modern way and using things like like React and server-side React and like all these ubiquitous tools that companies are just kind of figuring out ways to productize and turn them into kind of turnkey solutions for building websites. Anyways, all that to say, I, I'm I'm recognizing kind of this this trend, and like static sites don't seem to be dying, but there's kind of a a disconnect between most marketing sites and personal sites. You can get by almost completely static, but there are times when you sometimes need dynamic things, and collecting form responses is one of the top ones, as you would know from your form keep days, right? <laughs> there's so much pain, and I've talked to I've talked to multiple like developers about this in like. Wiring up forms provided by various providers like ConvertKit and Drip and MailChimp and putting them onto, integrating them into like your static site. And depending on what platform you're using, there's varying degrees of difficulty in like making that experience really smooth. Basically, I'm what I'm aiming to do is release kind of the a modern 2019 approach for embedding dynamic forms onto your static site. So so if I wanted to have a drip or something form on my landing page uh, that is already static, where do you fit into that process or where would this thing fit in? I would say drips experience is, is not terrible because I helped build it. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but like say you wanted to, if you have just a flat HTML file, you could just take copy like the embed code, put it on your site. And after submission, it would redirect you to... You can either like set up a custom redirect or it'll redirect you to Drip's landing page. But if you want to do like an Ajaxy thing, then you're writing some JavaScript yourself. And honestly, on like a flat HTML file where you're just kind of have standard control over it, it's not that bad. But if you're using like a, say like a static site generator that uses server-side rendered React and you're trying to like take this this flat form code from a provider like a Drip or something and and put it in there, it's not... It's not quite as easy to do, like to fit in with with the model. And other providers are, as I've seen, are much worse than worse than Drip in just like the embed codes they give you, like like lots of data attributes with embedded JSON objects and a bunch of crap. And a lot of these 
form builders try to like design forms for you. And I have this hypothesis that like people who are designing their websites don't want pre-designed forms. They want to, they want the form to match their existing aesthetic. So it's like, give me just, just the minimum stuff that I need to make this form work, um, without all your attempt at styling it for me. Hmm. Interesting. So, so what does uh, the, the version one look like? There will be a JavaScript library that you can either just drop in or like npm install into your bundle that will give you a component and you just like drop an ID corresponding to the form component that you've created on my service. And then it will just automatically take in whatever form data gets posted in the form, store it for you. And then I'm going to build a few integrations to some of the most popular like email marketing tools probably, and then kind of expand from there. Hmm. So is it kind of like Zapier-like for form things, embedded forms? Yeah, I think you could probably think about it. Yeah, you can think of it as more of like a kind of a niche Zapier for for taking any kind of dynamic input and redirecting it where you want it to go. Hmm. Interesting. What excites you about this particular idea? Um, I like that it's an opportunity to build something and focus heavily on the developer experience because i think i've looked around at some of the some of the just the tools in the landscape and the kind of the forms that are given to people by various services that that have form collection endpoints and nobody seems to be really caring that much about what developers want or how it fits into their workflow so this very much aligns with my own interest in like building things to improve developer workflows and just like see how well I can execute on this, you know, because it seems like people aren't really paying that much attention to, to that side of the experience. Um, hmm. Interesting. And yeah. so you, you had said that your, your plan is to do it in kind of a lightweight way and then mm-hmm. see what responses. So mm-hmm. like, do you have like a timeline or like a MVP kind of outlined in your head? I have kind of just a, a little mini roadmap sketched out. I'm saying July, like it's going to be, I'm going to ship it sometime in July. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'll drop the name. So I, so I snagged the domain name statickit.com. Um, nice. And so there should, by the time this episode drops, I will have some kind of basic landing page up there. Um, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah. Committing. Yeah. I like it. I really like this meta approach of like, try some things in small, like f- do some test fires of various things. I think that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's, it's good. Like it, it keeps the shipping muscles kind of fresh mm-hmm. and it gives you a chance to learn people's response to a thing in the mm-hmm. real world, mm-hmm. which is great. It's like prototypes probably beat customer interviews when it comes to feedback overall, if possible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I think objectively, like, it's better in all respects if you can put a product in someone's hands and and see what their reaction is to it. And what you have to do then is like form some kind of hypothesis and give some commitment to it because writing code is more commitment than just having conversations. But I think, you know, I think if the scope is small enough, then it's probably worth it. The other thing that is comforting about this is like, I know there's a market for this. Like they're like FormKeep is probably actually the product that comes up the most when when I've had conversations with people about like, what are you doing with your static site? They're like, well, if I ever need a form, I use, you know, I use that. And wow. there is a market for it. I don't know how small or big it is, but there are people paying for the, for a product like this right now. So if I, you know, build this within a month, ship it, and then 
it's not like a huge like influx of people like that's fine you know it's if it's a small trickle i'm okay with that too um Mm -hmm. so interesting um so you you actually have been doing it sounds like customer interviews with people then like very casual not um like just talking to friends and stuff not in a kind of rigorous fashion yeah gotcha okay cool well i like the i like the fast cadence idea a lot yeah yeah that sounds cool yeah, form, that's so interesting. The form keep comes up a lot. I wonder if that's like because these people are kind of in our circle, and I talked about form keep for so much, or is it they did, is form keep just like winning the form endpoint war? I don't, I don't know. I mean, honestly, I probably should do a little more research about like other things out there, but there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of products like like servicing this need. <laughs> like form keep comes up, and there's like an open source thing that like you can install on your own. Heroku instance or your own server or something and like do form collection, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of innovation happening in this space. Um, yeah. So, huh? Interesting. Yeah. Form keep. So form keep got, got sold. Yeah. Like someone like a furious collective is a mm-hmm. SAS running organization that bought it. I'm clicking through the form keep interface a little bit right now. It's, it's looks, it looks a lot like it did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember this real well. I'm looking at it. I'm like, I'm sure it was like, when the time it was built, like it's, it was probably in line with like the kind of the aesthetic and the way people are building apps back when it was originally created, but it feels <laughs> like it hasn't been brought into the, uh, the modern 2019 way of doing things. So I must have like a really old cookie from Formkeep in here because I'm signed in <laughs> somehow. That's funny. <laughs> that's so weird. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> that's so funny. Blast in the past. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Formkeeper was like a nice little business when I was running. Like we, I think we hit like 9K or 10K somewhere around there when we, when I, when I was working on it. And it was just, it's, it's a simple, tiny, it was like, I think like 4,000 lines of Ruby or something. Like mm-hmm. it was pretty simple too. So it was mm-hmm. like the dollar per line of code thing was, was really good. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it could be an interesting, like small, but you know, profitable niche perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I'm thinking. So so we'll see. But if there does seem to be interest around like the idea of dynamic components for static sites, I I do have kind of a bigger vision too of this becoming a little toolbox of things. So not just mm-hmm. forms. Um, so like another example, it's like, I, I don't think this is something I could necessarily charge for because it's so simple. But um, uh, like when I used subtle for the level journal, I loved the little like kudos button that it had like there were no comments but there was like a way for people to give feedback uh, in, in a sense and that's similar to the applause button on medium and if you know people are kind of moving off of platforms onto taking taking control and getting back on their own um you know sites like people may want just a simple button where you can you know thumbs up something and so i think that's like another thing i could add to the toolkit i loved having like a the little not like a chat widget but just like a the help scout help bubble at the in the lower right to click and you could just like submit a contact form and not having to put like a contact us page and so i could see like having a little widget that's just like a contact the basic contact widget um that you could just toggle on with javascript you know Um, yeah uh my my friend christian jenko runs a service that is like uh file uploads for i think staticky type sites so it's like there's there's a bunch of little pieces where it's like, oh, you need this bit of dynamic behavior on a static site. And like, I think there are like, there's whole businesses that just like serve these needs. So that's kind of interesting. And this is where kind of I, I have my 
my theory that I've alluded to a little bit here, I think about like, I think there's opportunities to bundle things together, like have many suites of products. And because ultimately people don't like, they don't like paying a bunch of SaaS providers. And it's kind of like, as things have gone more and more SaaSified, like it's really easy to rack up a huge like monthly spend of just all the various SaaS products that <laughs> that you pay for to do a bunch of things. And so I'm I'm thinking that like I, I like the idea of building a little suite of things. And it's like, you know, just just use Static Kit because it's got it's got the forms and it has the thing and it has the contact widget and it has the kudos button. Like it it gives us all this stuff under one bundle. So just just use that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah. Could so. be cool. Yeah, we'll see. And then hosting. <laughs> yeah <laughs> you want to get in the hosting game I oh gosh no yeah, i would like weird. not to that's uh yep. that's pretty mission critical i mean it's june 27th and mm-hmm. you're launching this in july so i guess it'll be pretty imminent yeah yeah cool well there should be some good updates then yep i think so so i started working on it a bit like i started cracked open a new phoenix app and built got got like the deploy pipeline down for the the javascript library so I got all like kind of the foundations of the pieces in place and now I'm just kind of working through my little roadmap. So it's been it's been fun getting back into creative stuff. That's where it's been a little frustrating to have eyes that get tired because I'm like, no, I just want to keep working on this, but my eyes can't won't let me do it. But uh, yeah. Man, Greenfield development, that must feel real fun. You have like no mm-hmm. crap you're fighting against. Mm, it's the funnest That's part of the project. So good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been, I find myself wanting to start all these other little side things uh, just now that it's like, oh man, it'd be like such a, a pristine, beautiful world with none mm-hmm. of the complexity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I also think I like, well, the reason the code we have is complex is because you have to do a lot of things. Like I've been considering just a couple of little side projects. I probably won't do any of them, but it's like, well, just thinking about the steps that are required to get a thing up into like to like somewhat legitimate is is kind of high. Like I feel like it's never I don't know. Like there's lots of tools for doing it, and it's getting faster, but there's just still a lot of moving pieces to anything that even resembles a business. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And I'm like. I keep I have run into different parts where I'm like, oh, man, I got to build a setting screen here and a delete button and all this like, ugh. like these things aren't hard to do, but they're still just annoying parts. It's like, oh, yeah, OK, in a more mature product, you would already have a lot of these things built already. Now you got to you got to build them from scratch. So mm-hmm. yeah. there are downsides for sure. But Sure. All right. Well, shall we wrap it, you think? Uh, yeah, let's wrap it. OK. Show notes. Show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. See ya.